Good morning. Uh, my name's Tony. I'm going to be reading the scripture passage that Pastor Benjamin's preaching from this morning. It's John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, and it's on page 838 in the Pew Bibles. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. In the fall, there was one sermon where I managed to preach one verse for 40 minutes, which is fairly hefty verse to sermon length ratio. Um, but sometimes when we have a short passage, like we have this morning, it's good to have a short sermon. Today, I, I want to try to keep it short. I think we will. But I want to do so so that after the sermon, what would have been more of the sermon time, we can have about 10 minutes or so for a time of guided prayer, for a time of thinking through themes in this passage and how they relate to our lives and how to share those needs and concerns and joys and truths with God. By way of introduction, I'll say that if, if after church, I were to go to the grocery store, fill up my car with gas, work out at the gym, and do whatever, and if I were to tell you about that, I wouldn't give you all the details. I, I wouldn't give you the details of where I went exactly, what route I took, what lights were red, what lights were green, and so on. But if something crazy, something scary were to happen along the way, I'd include that. At the command of Jesus, the disciples go for a simple boat ride. It's going to be perhaps five miles from one side of a lake to another. It's a short trip for men who had done something like this, or perhaps even this exactly, many times before. It's the kind of trip you wouldn't say much about. Wouldn't include many details. It's fairly ordinary, except... Except something crazy happened. Something scary happened along the way. Something that gave all kinds of fear to these disciples, but also at the same time took all kinds of fears away. And John doesn't want us to miss it. Would you join me in prayer as we look at this passage together? Heavenly Father, this morning, a passage like this, a story like this, an experience like these disciples had, invites us, I believe, to reflect on our own storms. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you would come to us and say, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. People say that the most cliched way to start a story, and I think some of you are English teachers or Formish English teachers. I wonder what you would say, just the answer. But people say the most cliched, expected, sort of done a thousand times way to start a story is to begin it by saying it was a dark and stormy night. My impression, however, is that to be in a storm on a dark and stormy night is not so cliched, especially on a huge body of water. One time I was on a lake in Virginia on a sunny afternoon, and that afternoon became a dark and stormy afternoon. Dark clouds rolled in over the mountain that were on the edge of the lake, and we noticed that those clouds were really dark, and every other boat <laughs> was getting off the lake. And so my father and I thought we should probably return the boat that he had rented <laughs> before things got bad, and so we dropped everyone off the, at the dock, and we motored as fast as we could the three or so miles to return the boat with rain flying sideways as we did. That storm, I think, was a little bitty baby storm compared to the storm that the disciples experienced on this dark and stormy night. Not to mention that my father and I had a modern pot pontoon boat, right? 150 horsepower, which is not as big right, as horsepower you could have for a boat, but it was 150 more than the disciples had. And the storm these disciples experienced would have brought them to the end of themselves. Which, by the way, they were already out before the storm began. As I mentioned last week in Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he notes that the disciples were so weary, they didn't have time for themselves to eat. Because the crowd, all the sickness, all the needs, all the things that needed to be done were all consuming. That's important to remember. It seems reasonable to assume that the miracle invigorated them, energized them. It, it was exciting. Whatever, what little energy they had, they found more. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 with, with five tiny muffins and, and these two sardines became, becoming enough food to feed people in Arita would have energized them. But then, I think we're right to think their fatigue would have set back in. And that's when they clock in for the night shift. We read that they leave the boat just before dark. Leave in a boat, excuse me, just before dark. And Jesus doesn't come to them, the other gospel accounts say, until the fourth watch of the night. Which I don't think of the night in terms of watches, but that is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Which means, given Passover and the early spring... And just guessing when sun would have set and sun would have risen. They've probably rode against the wind for 10 hours. Again, they host 15,000 people, clean up the leftovers, get in a boat, and row hard against the wind, all after they were already running on fumes. Maybe you know this fatigue. Maybe you, like the disciples, know the fatigue of your best efforts getting you seemingly nowhere. 
which can lead to a kind of fear and despair. And to make it more pointed, maybe you're not there because you've done anything wrong. Maybe like these disciples, you're wholeheartedly engaged in obedience to King Jesus, and yet you still feel this kind of alone and despair and fear and fatigue. That might be, however, right where God wants you this morning. But as we see in the story, it's not where he wants to leave us. He wants to get in the boat with us. He wants to get in with you. And that changes things. The the presence of the living Jesus makes a big difference. The story begins with fear and fatigue abounding. Let me read again verses 16 and 18. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They're just along the hillside. Got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. There was another city on the other side of the lake. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. If you were to study this passage for a week and poke around the Bible commentaries, that is those people who have spent their lives, men and women, studying one book or several books of the Bible and writing about it, these Bible commentators, if you did that with this passage, you'd see that many authors point out how dangerous the Sea of Galilee can be. Apparently, it's 600 feet below sea level. And there's these mountains along the edges and cold wind would blow down the mountain ravines through these kind of gorges or valleys sort of things and the wind would rush and it would collide with the warm air on the sea. And I'm not a meteorologist, but everybody else said that was dangerous, even for professional fishermen. This passage, when it, as I picture the storm, it makes me picture the, 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 the documentary type shows on like the Alaskan fishermen crab things, right? What was it? I don't know, some of you have seen this. I've obviously not seen it. What I've seen is the commercials, and that's enough. <laughs> I'm done. I get seasick. This is another part of me for another story, but like I get seasick. Uh, I've gotten myself seasick driving my own car. Like, so I'm very motion sick. So I watched it. So that's not really the danger these men are experiencing. There are other dangers of catching Alaskan king crabs. But it's a scary situation. They, they call it the most deadly catch, or the dead, whatever the show is, for a reason. And that image, the image of a boat tossed upon a sea, in that image we see a picture of the church. Or what it often feels like to be the church. Listen to how one commentator puts it. This name's Bruce Myling, I think, if I say his name correctly. He writes it like this. The disciples are alone in a boat in the darkness when a storm blows up, as was frequently the case on the Lake of Galilee. There is a mood of discouragement underlined by John's observation in verse 17 that it was dark. Here is discipleship without the discerned presence of the Lord. I'll say that part again. It's discipleship without the discerned presence of the Lord. Like, you can't see him, feel him, know him. It's discipleship when you can't perceive Jesus as close. I'm not saying he's not close. It's without his discerned presence. He doesn't feel close. He continues, 
and recalling the traditional image of the boat, or excuse me, the church as a boat. It is not without difficulty to make application, he writes. In many parts of the world today, particularly here in the West, he's speaking essentially to us, it would be difficult to find a more telling picture of the church. Here is a small handful of people, here is a small handful of people, seemingly remote from the land where most people live their lives, apparently irrelevant to the great issues confronting the world. It is tossed by the winds of secularism secularism without and the controversy and uncertainty within. Out of touch with its point of departure and unsure of its whereabouts and with no clear destination ahead. Behold, the church. I could see someone objecting to that description of the church as too negative or too pessimistic. Christ is building his church, right? The gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? There's verses about that, aren't there? There are. We spent the fall teaching Matthew 16 and those verses and others like it. Jesus is building his church. I'm not saying, just as a careful reading of that quote is not saying, that the fragile boat that is the church is what the church fully is. Rather, we're saying that is often how the church feels. And not to discourage you, but I can be more specific. This image of being fearful, fatigued, and fragile can be how your church leadership can feel sometimes. It's how many disciples of Jesus feel much of the time. One of my favorite preachers, He's known for his bold, courageous sermons. He runs an international missions agency. The whole thing he's trying to do is develop indigenous church pastors to plant churches in their own context. That's his thing. That's their thing. And I remember him saying once in a sermon that there are times when he's ready to trust the Lord when their organization's missionaries go to jail when their organization's missionaries are threatened with their lives. He's ready. He's ready for that. He takes it in a stride, full of faith. And there are other times, he says, when a staff member might come to him and say, we're out of pencils. (laughs) And he wants to go in his office, close the door, curl up in the fetal position, and just cry. How are we ever going to lead a missions agency across the world if we can't buy enough pencils? It's silly until you know the feeling. Apart from Christ, churches and Christians are like houses of cards on dark and stormy nights. How did the disciples get into this predicament? So fearful and fatigued. It's important to notice. How did they get here? In the Old Testament book of Jonah, Jonah got into a storm on the sea through what? Through his disobedience. Jonah was running from the Lord, and the Lord sent a storm to get his attention. Is that how the disciples got into this storm? It's not. I'll read you how Matthew introduces the story 
of the feeding of the 5,000. After the feeding of the 5,000, quote, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, Matthew 14, 22. It's important to understand, especially because of what I said last week. Last week, if you were here, I made this huge deal about Jesus putting blessings along the path of obedience. When you follow Jesus, trust and obey, there are blessings on the path of obedience. Philip didn't understand this last week. Philip didn't understand how Jesus would feed the crowd, but he trusted and obeyed. Jesus said, tell him to sit down. Philip said, I'll tell him to sit down. I want to send him away, but I'll tell him to sit down. And Jesus fed them. Blessings along the path of obedience. What happens here? Was I wrong? Did I lie? Does following Jesus lead to blessings? Jesus said, get in the boat and go. They obey. Maybe Jesus puts curses along the path of blessing. Excuse me, along the path of obedience. Well, that's not all that I said last week. I also said that Jesus intends to become our chief blessing along the path of obedience. I said that mainly Jesus wants to become precious to us along the path of obedience. There are blessings along the path of obedience, but the main and highest and chief blessing is that Jesus wants to become precious. And Jesus is especially precious in dark and stormy nights. The story begins with the disciples fearful, but that's not how it ends. We'll read again here. So short, let me just read the whole thing here in context again. When the evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Now, verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And coming near the boat, and they were, what's the word? They were frightened. Pause here for a moment. Notice that while the wind and the waves were surely scary, they were not the most scary thing. We often think of ancient people as primitive. People who believed in fairy tales and didn't know how the universe worked or how the natural world functioned. Now, maybe they didn't know some of, the, well, maybe they didn't know some of the things we know. But I would say that the average ancient farmer and fisherman knows a lot more about the natural world than I will ever know. They were astute observers of nature, their lives depended upon it. And here, what scares them is not merely the wind and the waves, but that there's a man walking on the water. Like, that didn't happen. They knew that. And it makes them afraid. Let's keep going. Verse 20, 21. But he, this man on the water, said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. We don't know 
whether there was a second miracle. Namely, that when Jesus got on the boat, they were like immediately there. Supernaturally. Maybe John just words it this way. Because after 10 hours of rowing and going nowhere, it was like they were there immediately. In contrast. We can't be sure. But we can be sure they were glad to have Jesus in their boat. Again, we read, Then they were glad to take him into the boat. John wants us to make sure we don't miss this. The presence of the living Jesus among his disciples makes them glad, though not at first. Jesus had to tell them to not be afraid. The power of one who walks on the water, in fact, creates the water, (laughs) spins the water into a storm, walks on the water, and suspends the laws of nature. The power of the one who has the power to feed 5,000, the power to heal the sick, the power to forgive sins, the power to do all that and more is not a power you just get comfy with. You just get cozy with. Unless that same power is also good. Unless that same person, I should say, is good. And Jesus is good. And he says, it is I, do not be afraid. This statement, it wasn't for the crowds, it wasn't for the masses, the people who barely knew them. This was a word, an experience just for them. Just for the disciples. Can you hear his voice this morning saying over you, it is I, do not be afraid. That wording... It is I is a phrase that elsewhere in John, when it's on the lips of Jesus, gets translated as simply, I am. It's an echo, if we listen closely, from the book of Exodus and the burning bush. Not so overt right here. By itself. But there are many echoes to Exodus here in this passage in John 6. The manna and the bread, things we'll talk about more next week in what is not a short passage. The Passover, Moses, a miracle on water, and so on and so forth. There are lots of echoes of Exodus here in John 6. So when Jesus says, do not be afraid, it's him. We can hear him also saying, don't be afraid, I am the great I am. Church, as we close, hear this encouragement. This same Jesus will come again. On some dark and stormy night, the Bible teaches that we won't hear the rushing of the wind, but we will hear the blowing of the trumpets. And Jesus won't come walking on water waves, but riding on a white war horse across the sky. And when he comes to his storm-tossed church, his fatigued and fearful church, he will come to them and say, it is I, do not be afraid. And the storm and the darkness and the sea will be no more. And 
to whatever glorious destination, history, and redemption we're heading, we're going to arrive immediately. No more sorrows, no more tears. It's going to be a good day. I'm going to invite David to come up here and he's going to play some instrumental music, just, just music without words. The worship team is going to come up later and help us close in a song, but we're going to move into a time of prayer and response. But let's just start by praying. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We thank you for little stories that have huge significance. We thank you for your watch care for your church. Lord, would you come and draw near to us as you already have been through the singing and through the prayers and through the reading of scripture, through the preaching of the word, now through the prayers of your saints. We pray this in Christ's name.